You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey guys, listen up. I know these days when you watch the news, it feels like it's one hit after another. And it's all bad news for the economy. Well, let me give you some good news. It's not all that bad when it comes to real estate. Let me explain. You see, a year ago, man, real estate was hot, hot, hot. Everybody and their brother was trying to go out and buy another house. What did that mean? It was so competitive that a lot of folks got discouraged. So let me ask you, have you thought about buying a house in the last couple of years, but maybe just couldn't win a bid? I used to hear that all the time. Well, now is the time to buy. Yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit. But what that's created is an opportunity for you. A year ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be more than a dozen offers on a home, many of which were over list. That is not the case today. So if you got discouraged once before about trying to buy a new house, now's the time to take another look. Now, yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but you're not going to overpay for the home. But here's what you will do. You'll stop throwing your money away on rent. And now you'll get a greater tax deduction. That's right. You see, at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement from your mortgage company that shows how much interest you paid. And you get to write all of that interest off. That means you could get a huge tax deduction. You never get that as a renter. Not only that, homes are still going up in value. Don't believe the hype. All of the economists believe long-term real estate always works out. Let me give you an example. Maybe way back when in the housing collapse of 2008, You bought in 2007 and maybe overpaid. Buddy, if you hung in there, that house is worth a whole heck of a lot more now. If you've played in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You only lose money when you throw in the towel. Real estate long-term always performs well. So here's my advice to you. Date the rate, marry the house. Find the house that you and your family love long-term because here's what's not long-term. These higher rates. I've yet to see a single economist who doesn't agree with me that rates are going to return. So doesn't it make sense to get the house you want right now? And then when rates improve, man, just get a lower monthly payment. In the meantime, you'll enjoy a greater tax deduction and that property is going to continue to appreciate, meaning you're building equity and wealth for yourself. Not only that, how about this? We're going to save you some cash at buywithconrad.com. We're going to give you the peace of mind of a seven-year guarantee. When rates improve over the next seven years, not if, but when, that's my prediction, we'll refinance you again with no new origination points. Think about that. That could save you thousands of dollars and give you the peace of mind of knowing that you got the right house for your family right now. And then when the rates improve, man, get a lower monthly payment. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to hurry to buywithconrad.com. That's the first step. You tell us how much you want to put down and what you want your monthly payment to be. We get you approved and then you go shopping just like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you've thought about buying a house over the last couple of years, but you got discouraged, now's the time to take another look. Let me run the numbers for you right now. You'll be glad you did at buywithconrad.com. 
Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Woo Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo Wings! Yeah! Woo Woo! Broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ARN at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. Hello and welcome to ARN. This is Paul Bromwell, and today I'm joined by the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spinebuster, our favorite television champion. He certainly was mine. The ultimate utility player and the man who, alongside the rest of the horsemen, helped make the stinger the franchise, the WCW. He's the enforcer. He's double A. He's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you this week? Doing great. We have the Panthers have got a new coach. Yeah. Things are, uh, are we hopefully going to turn around here a little bit? You know, I'm a nut for a football fan and, uh, we've had some issues, boy, and, uh, we'll see. Yeah. You know, uh, my team, I don't even want to talk about. They're so bad this year, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the with the Panthers. They're uh, you know getting rid of. They owe the coach what Matt Rule a lot of money, and uh, I know Baker Mayfield's dinged up. Uh, so next man up there, but uh, we'll see what happens. But man, I love this time of year. I love the fall. I love football season. The college games going strong, and uh, man, uh, it's just it's just fun time of the year, man. We're getting into Halloween season. You a big uh, Halloween guy, Arn? I just love to see the kids out having fun. You know, our neighborhood is loaded with kids, and uh, man, they start early and come late. Love to it, love to see it. Love to see it. Yeah, same thing, man. I, I have a lot of fun. But listen, not only Halloween. Before you know it, we're going to be getting into Thanksgiving season, and I want to start the show this week talking about you because Wrestlecade's going to be coming up. Uh, that's a Thanksgiving tradition at the Benton Convention Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, you know, or as we call it, Horseman Country. This is the very uh, first Arn Anderson show live that happened. This is the location. And by the way, me and the research guy, we were both there for that first Arn show live. You remember it with Bruce Mitchell. You guys, uh, you had us all uh, on the edge of our seats listening to your stories. Yeah, yeah. We went and reached back into some history. and uh, Yeah. Just being in Winston-Salem is like being home, you know. A lot, yeah, lot, lot of good stuff 
that night. Yeah, it was a lot of awesome Crockett stories, and uh, so I'm sure it's going to be a big-time event. And this year, Arn, it's their 10-year anniversary, uh, and you and Brock are scheduled to appear that weekend. You have a meet-and-greet, and, and uh, that's Saturday, November 26th from 10 to 3. So listen, get your tickets. You can check out and meet them both. And uh, you also get to meet dozens of wrestlers at WrestleCade. It's an amazing event, so we want to make sure that you guys have this opportunity to check that out, meet Arn, meet Brock, and take part in that weekend. But that's not it for you that weekend, my friend, because the following day, Sunday, November 27th, you are going to be managing Brock and Jay Lethal and a surprise opponent against FTR and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, as part of a big-time main event for big-time wrestling at the Dorton Arena in Raleigh. Uh, you got to be looking forward to that one, too. Well, I am. I'm uh, happy for everybody. FTR, I know it's a dream of theirs to team with Steamboat. To be able to get that in before, you know, Ricky calls it a day is, is unbelievable. I'm going to enjoy it. Brock's going to be in awe. Uh, Jay Lethal, I got a feeling, is going to break out a blast from the past. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dig it. Which is worth the price of uh, admission (laughs) itself. It's just going to be a great weekend, man. It really is over the top. And they're doing a real nice job with the card already. You have the Rock and Roll Express. They're going to be wrestling another favorite team of yours, the Briscoe Brothers. So. Mm. It's just going to be a weekend filled of talent, nostalgia, meet and greets will also be available at that event. And uh, my goodness, you got Ricky Morton and Ricky Steamboat doing their thing all at the same event. Talk about some big time baby faces. Uh, It's going to be a good time, Arn. One of my favorite weekends of the year really is. Well, hey, let's uh, jump into it because we got some business to attend to. And Arn, we've talked about it for the last several weeks. Today, our show is centered on the Great American Bash 1990. And as a reminder, Sting and Flair took on Gary Hartsman at the end of 1989 while you were still in the WWF. Then we have Sting and Flair defeating Muda and Funk in the Thunderdome match. From there, Sting defeats Flair in the main event of the Starcade tournament, simultaneously becoming the number one contender and... A horseman, right? You consider Sting a horseman, even if it was a short-lived period, right? For a minute, yeah. There you go. He sure was. But then Clash happens in Corpus Christi. You guys would kick Sting out of the group, and you wanted him out of wrestling altogether. And then later that evening, we watched it, the freak accident that resulted in Sting's injury, the patella tendon. uh, It would delay the passing of the torch from Nature Boy to the Sting. From Russell War all the way up until now, and here we are. We're at the beat, uh, the Great American Bash. It's July. It's 1990, and leading up to the Great American Bash on July 7th, the Horsemen worked the house shows against Sting's allies, ensuring that the first time the fans saw Sting's return to the ring was in Baltimore, which I think was really cool. This is where he challenges Rick for the world title. But leading up to the bash, the Horsemen headlined the house shows and tag matches. You and Flair aren't. Uh, would team up a couple of times early in the month, taking on the Junkyard Dog and Lex Luger, similarly to what we discussed last week. And then on July 4th in Greensboro, you retained your TV title because you were disqualified in your match with JYD. But in the main event for the holiday show, Wyndham and Flair wrestled Orndorff and Luger, and we moved on to July 6th in the go-home house show at the Norfolk Scope, the Horsemen, Barry Rick and yourself lost the six-man match to jyd paul orndorff and lex luger 
So we're, we're, we're here building up, and it's July the 7th. And prior to the pay-per-view later that evening on the episode of World Championship Wrestling, the great Gordon Soley would conduct a stand-up interview between Sting and Ric Flair. Ole's joining the interview about 90 seconds in. And we have that segment on in its entirety, and I can't think of any, any more of a fitting way to take a look at this than to open up our coverage of the bash with this clip. Here we go, our first clip of the week. I said earlier on in the program, this will be the final interview before the confrontation between Sting and the world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. Attorneys from both sides have assured me that there will be no confrontation here. I want you gentlemen to know I respect you as professional athletes, I hope you respect the professionalism of what we're doing in this moment. First of all, Sting, are you 100%? Gordon, let me put it like this. I know when you step into the ring with Ric Flair or any of the horsemen, he wasn't six-time world champion with the horsemen all the time, so he hasn't needed them all the time. He's done a little bit by himself because he has been six-time world champion and i know to hop in a ring with him i do have to be a hundred percent and that's exactly what i am don't be out here don't be out here telling them who i am i know who i am i'm the world heavyweight champion well we're gonna find out if you're really the man you're gonna have to Walk down that aisle! I'm ready to walk And you're going to have to show these idiots and him and most of all, me will show that you. you're ready. We'll find out if you're the man, Rick. Hey, wait a minute. Mr. Anderson, now, hold up. Why don't you take it easy, Gordon? Just kind of stand there for a second. You know, Sting, get in there. Pay attention, Sting. Two guys, two horsemen, and one of the super dudes all by his lonesome. You know, I, I, I don't want any trouble here, sir. Remember, you hold, keep your mouth shut. Hold the microphone. I tell you what, Sting. It's been a long time coming. Every time you get a lesson, you're kind of like a guy with no brains. You always seem to forget. Well, tonight maybe is the chance for you to really learn a lesson. And that lesson's going to come at the hands. What are you going to do about it? I'll bite his finger off. Yeah! That's what I'll do. Now, wait a minute, gentlemen. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Gentlemen. Go ahead. I'm listening. Say what you want to say. I'm telling you that you better just get ready to have your head pounded into a little hole. Because right now is the time to do it. Don't you think so? You. You think I'm not using my head again, Stephanie? Hey, hey! Talk it! Talk it, people. Listen to what I had to say. What you about to do, pal? Has make your last demand. I don't have any demands. I just want to let you know that I know I'm smarter than to step out here with both of you guys and not think. Well, I am thinking, Oli. Because check out, amigo, por favor. Ah, you don't have to look around, oh, you don't hey, have to hear that. What if you, hey, you both just turn around? Oh, what if you turn around and kick out what is behind you, huh? Stick it out. What do I look like? A guy who was just born yesterday? What do you think you got a cowboy in white hat? Do I look like I was born yesterday? Turn around. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh, you're a lucky son of a 
keep. I got one more thing I want to say. I got my stipulations the way I want them. I got everybody ringside the way I want them. Nobody's going to get ripped up because we will see who is really the man on the seventh. You know what I'm talking about, Rick? Think about this. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So, Arn, I'm interested in your opinion because that presentation, I mean, this is the last time these two are going to be on a microphone face-to-face before the big match. Uh, it was, felt a little disheveled, out of whack. I don't know what the word is. What did you, what did you think? <clears throat> there's a time to talk over each other, and there's a time to not. That felt like they were stepping on each other, yeah. to be perfectly honest with you. And the the saddest part of it all is the guy in that shot, the way that thing was, looked like he's eight feet tall, nine feet tall, but he can't. The problem is, at the end of the day, he couldn't do anything. You're talking about a huge buildup and anticipation for this guy, and he just, whether or not he would have ever been ready, Paul, I don't know, but he wasn't ready then. He couldn't even, in you know, just out of his own heart, guts, and soul, figure out a way to look menacing. I don't know what this was. <laughs> and for those that are listening only, just holding his wrist with his other hand. Yeah. Elegantes, who we're talking about, he stood behind Oli, and he just stood there. And it's like, yeah, you're tall, but what's next, right? He probably should have swatted a couple of people off that, that yes. platform. Do something back, physically imposing. Do something. Yeah. Back, backhand them both right off the podium. Something where you go, okay, Sting does have some backup. Yeah, substantial. He, yeah. Exactly. You know, you can't, we can go back and pick stuff apart. Sure. And, and we should because we're smarter now. We're more seasoned. We've got more experience. We've got more maturity. We've seen more things in the business. You know, that was back at a time that, that we really didn't have much control over what we did, and, and we wouldn't have known then to do what we're talking about now. But if we don't at least go back and Monday morning quarterback it, right. then it means we haven't learned very much the last 25 years. And I think you nailed it because a lot of what we do too is we'd recognize when something good is, has happened and, and the good that, and there was a lot of it. But man, there was also, as we've gone back and seen some situations here in the last few weeks episodes where it's like, whether it was Robocop, whether it was Elegante and his presentation, Sid and the Tux multiple weeks in a row, just a couple of misses. But you put all that together 
and you start to wonder why there was such a challenge for WCW in this era trying to trying to find itself and get ahead. Well, because it was a startup company. Yeah. How long had they been in business at this point when this is happening? Yeah. Year well, and a half. And you had yeah, and you had different leadership. It wasn't the Crockett's. It's heard. It's it's you know people like that that are in charge making calls. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's everything is relative. One thing you take away from it, man, did Sting gonna look good, huh? That's that's true. And Nature Boy said it. He said in an hour, uh, it's going to go down, and that's what happened. And it might have been too based on his attention to numbers. WCW presented the Great American Bash at the Baltimore Arena. Man, at this time, back in 1990, I lived about an hour and 15 minutes from the Baltimore Arena, and there were so many significant events for WCW. And we're going to take our time covering this event because, in retrospect, it's loaded from top to bottom with meaningful events and Hall of Famers. And uh, also, Arn, and I can't wait, we're going to have some questions from our ad-free show members that I'm going to ask throughout this episode. Uh, So I always love to integrate. We're going to try to do that more often integrate these fan questions and make them feel like they're more a part of these monthly shows as we walk through your career. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and get started. Leading up to the show, Jim Ross said that the event would have 14,000 fans in attendance. In all actuality, 10,000 fans attended that event that night with 8,900 of those paid. JR worked with Bob Cottle on the commentary that evening. And we've spoken at different times about both of these legendary voices. I love Bob Cottle. What did you think of pairing the pairing of JR and Bob Cottle together? Well, I loved it. You know, and Gordon Soley to me, well, well, him and JR right there neck and neck as far as the voice of wrestling, period. Bob Cottle was just a really nice man. And, you know, for uh, the Crockett territory, he was there for years and years and years doing the commentary. So it was a fresh face and uh, with Jim stepping in there and bringing his excitement to it, it was a good combination, good announced team. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up because, you know, uh, every now and then too, I want to pull in something that's going on today. How excited were you, are you to see that now a part of your current company, Renee Paquette, is now a part of the announced team, man. When I uh, got to see her a few weeks ago pop up on the TV screen, I was excited to see her back in wrestling. Uh, a genuinely nice person. You know, Renee is, you know, I, I worked with her quite a bit at WWE and for a long time, and she just really is a, a professional. She's a pro. She's a nice person. Uh, she is a great mom. I've got to visit with the baby a little bit. Uh, Yeah, what an acquisition she is for AEW. She's going to do some great things with the company, I'm sure. Absolutely just increases uh, the viability of the whole entire announce team and the company for that matter. She's so well-spoken. Excited to see her there. But getting back to JR Double A, as many of our listeners know, Jim Ross is one of the best salesmen in the business, without a doubt. There's no objection that the man can't overcome, and he's mastered his technique over the past 50 years. And what stands out most about JR is his confidence when closing the deal. Well, men, there's one setting none of us want to lack confidence in, and it's closing the deal in the bedroom. And with the help of our partner, Blue Chew, you guys will never lack the confidence when it matters most. Isn't that right, Arn? Buddy, you're not kidding. You're talking about having a plan, work your plan, and plan your work. (laughs) 
that's that's what we're talking about with Blue Chew. It is uh, it is. Let me just put it to you this way: foolproof. It is foolproof, buddy. And listen, here's the best part. It's all done online. No weird, awkward doctor's visits where you don't want to make that eye connection with your doctor. I mean, come on. It happens, I'm sure. It ships right to your door. It's discreet in the packaging, and the process is simple. Head on over right now. Go to BlueChew.com. You will consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and within days upon your approval, you will receive that package, in a, that discreet package, should I say, right to your front doorstep. And if you don't like swallowing pills, no big deal there. They do have tablets that are chewable. And my goodness, we all have different issues. Maybe it's something mental. Maybe there's performance anxiety. Maybe that you're on medication that has uh, caused you some issues. Blue Chew is there to help out. So check it out now. Go to BlueChew.com, and here's the deal for our listeners. You can go to BlueChew.com and try it for free when you use promo code ARN, those three simple letters, A-R-N. You will only pay $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code ARN, to receive your first month free. Go to BlueChew.com for more details and safety info. It will change your world and rock hers. I guarantee it. Well, Arn, this pay-per-view featured the debut of Big Van Vader. Vader defeated Tom Zink, the Z-Man, in a bona fide squash match at the 2-minute and 30-second mark. Vader had uh, spent a great deal of time working in Japan against the likes of Stan Hansen, Antonio Inoki, who, by the way, we just lost, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, and countless others. But I want to touch on Vader. Did you know much about his reputation when he came into the company? And uh, had you heard anything about Leon Moy? Yeah, I heard he was a big, stiff, former NFL football player that was no artiste. Let me put it to you that way. (laughs) It was, uh, you know, I saw a couple of times, I watched the AWA show that he was on. Okay. And you can just tell a guy that, you know, is, is knocking the piss out of whoever his opponent was. And there was no doubt that this guy was a cement mixer. What was your initial impression? Do you remember first meeting Vader and what you first thought about him, uh, you know, first thought, few times? I may have to shoot him. <laughs> exactly Get the Glock out. Get the Glock. Uh, yes, this was pre-Glock. That yeah. would have probably been a shotgun with a deer slug in it. <laughs> yeah, he's a... Uh, he Vader was a handful, and and he was athletic. You don't play in the NFL unless you're athletic, and uh, you know hell he had to be 400 pounds, and he could move for a guy that size. He could. You know there was no there was no flaws anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about. How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Was he one of those guys? We knew he was a big monster on screen. I love the helmet and all that that he came down his presentation in WCW. But was he one of those guys backstage where hey, he was just an easy guy to talk to, friendly type guy? For, or for me, yeah, yes, for you, 
<laughs> yes. I mean, you know, I got along great with him. Now, there were some guys that, you know, and rightly so, did not take to getting knocked around recklessly like he, you know, he did yeah. some guys. You know, there, there are some pretty tough guys in this business. And, you know, getting punched in the teeth and punched in the nose and hit in the throat and landed on heavy, you know, uh, it's not agreeable to a lot of folks. And uh, let me just say there was a lot of anticipation when we found out he was coming to WCW. But, like, if you're on the receiving end of that, so what are you going to do? Go jump in his face? I mean, the guy looks like he would kill you if you tried to talk back to him or jump in his face. So it's kind of you're in a no-win situation. Well, I live by one mantra. If you're going to get your ass whipped, go ahead and punch somebody in the nose first. There you go. I like it. You know, I'm not going to curl up like a roly-poly and just take it. Uh, and that's why you're a bad, bad man, Mr. Anderson. No, I just ain't going to I mean, I, I, I've had my ass whipped many times, but never because I wasn't fighting back. Okay. You know, we can all fight back, that's for sure. You got and I that think right. that's how you get the respect out of somebody like that. Even though you're outmatched, you know, Leon, Leon knows if you're just – if you're intimidated by him and uh if he's going to hit you hit him that's that's the way this business operates and the harder the harder the receipt it's a good point because that's the you know and i'm not saying he was a bully but it's kind of the same narrative for bullies if you're the guy that just folds then they're just going to keep picking on you but if you're the guy that kind of comes right back at him they might not pick on you so hard the next time well there's no shame in getting beat up yeah, there's really not because there's always somebody out there, you know, tougher. There always is, and it's not necessarily the one that you suspect. But you got to stand up for yourself in this business, and you got to make it competitive, even though if it gets ugly, you still got to, you know, fight back. Warren, as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, we have some fan questions this week, and we had a fan write in, Justin Erie, and he wants to know, did anybody warn you about Vader's famous funk, or did you have to learn about it firsthand? We all kind of learned about the Vader funk <laughs> <laughs> on-the-job training, buddy. Oh. And it was, you know, I hate to speak ill of Leon. Like I said, he was, where I was concerned, he was a big teddy bear, but the man was just not... He was not a fan of washing his gear and taking out his boots and letting the mare out one day to the next. He, whew, he'd be stanking. Oh, and a man that big, too, with all that sweat and stank. Oh, it's just a recipe for disaster. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that's one of those things that, you know, it's heat and it's kind of well-known amongst the boys, but, you know, you that's not something that you just go address because now you are going to be in a fight because that's a personal. Yeah. That would be, and it was personal to the guys that were working with him. I mean, it was like, it's not, it wasn't like guys come back through the curtain laughing, going, God, am I did he stink? It was like, Jesus. Yeah. He washes gear for God's sakes. Yeah. Somebody needs to talk to that guy because he reeks. Yeah. 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 Uh, Brad Stanton's up next, and he said, why was Vader's full mask taken off so quickly and replaced with the leather gimmick? Did he hate the character, the mask? Anything you can share with us concerning that presentation? If you've had a mask on it's, it's and you're claustrophobic at all, or your wind is not good, uh, 
putting on a mask changes the perspective and it changes your line of sight. It also, you know, is, you know, makes you claustrophobic. Because uh, I tried it when I first started and it's, it's hard. It's a different feel. And I think Leon, to be able to get in there and breathe and go full bore, it, it, it cut off his air. Now that makes total sense. I mean, even if you've ever dressed up for Halloween or put a mask on or something like that, it get they get hot and hard to breathe, and especially a big four hundred pounders. You said it, they need all he needs all the oxygen he can get. Last thing you need to be doing in the middle of a match is trying to adjust something that's bothering you on that you're wearing. You yeah. know, it, it's because you're going to start messing with that and take your mind off of what you're doing. Before you know it, you roll an ankle break a leg, blow out a knee, whatever the case is. Well, we're going to move on with our coverage here. You, Sid, and Barry wrestled in a six-man tag match against Orndorff, Junkyard Dog, and Elegante in our second clip of the week. We're going to take a look at how the horsemen fared in this one. Clip number two, Great American Bash, 1990. It's the six-man tag. Let's take a look. Barry went on the 6'6", 280-pounder from Sweetwater, Texas. Oh! standing vertical suplex and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff may be, oh I thought he would be I thought that would be all. It looked like it was going to be with a quick count of two and right now the horsemen are doing a good job of keeping them away from L.A. Gande to make the tag. The big man hasn't been in legally yet. Arn Anderson now the legal man being tagged in. Anderson with a knee into the kidney area of Paul Orndorff in this six man tag team event. From here on out, ladies and gentlemen, they're all for the championships. Matches 9, 10, and 11. This is number 8. Three more to go, and they're all for the gold. The U.S. title match, the World Tag Team Championship match, and the one that we've really been looking forward to for so long now, that World Heavyweight Championship match with Sting and Ric Flair. Nice football tackle by Barry Wyndham. Wyndham showing great, great quickness. Oh, and Orndorff got him with a right hand. Orndorff, perhaps out of desperation, I'm sure that it was, got him with a left hand, and the crowd wants him to tag El Gigante. Diving to the corner, he went to junkyard dog. I think he wanted to tag the giant, but he didn't get to do it that time. JYD cracking the heads of Wyndham and Anderson together. Here comes Big Sid from behind, nailing JYD. And now the three horsemen triple teaming the junkyard dog, send him over the top rope. That'll be a disqualification. Now Ligante throws Vicious over the top rope, shows Barry Wyndham around, and the horsemen will not stay in the ring without Ligante. Every time the big man gets in, the horsemen go out. You hate to see it happen because you want to see the big man in there, but it's good strategy on their part. Let's hear the official decision. Ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the match via disqualification, the team of the Junkyard Dog, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, and El Gigante. All right, Arn, so as we discussed two weeks ago, exactly, he's, he's pinching his nose, it stunk. Elegante is greener than goose shit. I imagine that this finish was to protect the giant, but in doing so, it was the most, you had the most powerful faction in wrestling looking like shit. What was up with this lackluster finish? 
Well, the, you know, the one that was probably really hot, if you went back and watched the match its entirety, Paul Orndorff had to do everything Yeah. for that team. You know, God bless JYD. He was limited, you know, at that point in his career. He was on the other side. You know, he was limited in what he could do. And, and Eligante just could do nothing. Nothing. He was dumped in there once again, you know. And throughout our career, the one thing which I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, the horsemen of the Crockett era, every one of us was dedicated to every single night working with whoever we were working and making them look way better than they actually were. And we were able to pull that off because in those days, for when you work for the territories, you had to be able to work or have a hell of a gimmick to even get a job. You would, you know, wouldn't have mattered how tall that guy was. If he couldn't do anything, he would have never got a job with Jim Crocker Promotions. He just wouldn't have. And a lot of the other territories, because he was just, he was a tall guy that was just inept. And it just, you know, it made it almost possible to do anything with him, you know, because yeah. he didn't know anything. And he, you know, the communication, he didn't speak English. Yeah, it's not even just the athleticism or can't do a wrestling move, but then you got that whole challenge. How do you communicate with them? It's an eight-foot-tall stiff that can't communicate with you, that can't do anything, no athletic ability. If he played basketball, he should have stuck with it. It was just it was a bad deal. It was a bad time. And let me tell you, poor Sid, who was, was a legitimate monster and looked the part, big, rugged and could do some stuff at that yeah, time. Yeah, athletic, yeah. You know, it just looked bad for him. True. Did they have someone that was there as a interpreter or a communicator or someone to help back then, do you remember? Yeah, and and whoever it was drove him around. I'm trying to remember. I think it was one of the referees maybe or somebody. Okay. Yeah. Uh maybe was it uh was it the referee from uh uh Florida Championship Wrestling, the one that was down there forever. What was his name? Uh, I don't know. But it sounds that's usually what they did with the – I mean, that was the same thing they did with Tim White and Andre. They would assign a referee to some of the larger athletes. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So that makes sense. Well, um, yeah. Fonzie. Fonzie, okay, yeah. I want to say it was Fonzie, and they okay. pr- pr- provided a big Cadillac to ride him around in. and he was taken care of. The company took care of him. He just, there was no return on investment. Yeah, there you go, the ROI. Well, hey, we'll move on from him because uh, we'll continue to talk about this card. But uh, the next match featured Lex Luger defending his U.S. title against someone we've all uh, come to know very well, Mark Callis. Callis became The Undertaker several months later when he would move to the WWF. And Bruce Pritchard indicated on his show something to wrestle with that he was interested in Callis, but Vince had never heard of him. The first time Vince saw Undertaker working was against Lex Luger at this very event, Arn. So there you go. Great American Bash 1990. Callis had a dislocated hip but worked over 12 minutes with Luger because he knew that Bruce arranged for Vince to watch the show. While the match was just okay, based on the injury and Luger's in-ring ability, Mark Calloway met with Vince in the ensuing weeks, and Vince fell in love with mean Mark Callis, who would make his debut as our Undertaker at Survivor Series in 1990. Arnie wrestled that match against Luger with a dislocated hip to make sure he put his best foot forward with Vince McMahon. We do not need to say much more about The Undertaker in terms of his toughness and dedication to his craft, but any thoughts on Bruce's recollection, Double A? Anything you'd like to add after hearing that? 
Well, I'm just I'm thinking I wish somebody in the room would have had the balls and the smarts to go, why are we wasting our time on this eight-foot-tall Spanish basketball player? Look at this guy. Look at Mark Callis. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So I wish the light would have went off. And listen, what if we had invested that time in him? Oh, my God. I'm a big fan of what-ifs. That's a whopper what-if. Because you knew he was going to rise and he was going to become something. You just do it watching him. And he would rise, rise from the dead, buddy. I should say, <laughs> Jesus. And Christ. he had the height and the athleticism and all that stuff that we just outlined. And mental, you could communicate with him. <laughs> mental, physical toughness, mm. working with a, with a dislocated hip. How many guys would do that or yeah, could exactly. do it? Right. Well, that's a huge one, like you said. But we're going to move on. It's main event time. It's Nature Boy Ric Flair, the six-time world heavyweight champion at that time, taking on the hottest baby face in the company and the man who, after this night, would officially become the franchise of WCW. We have a condensed version of this match, but to our loyal fans at Ad Free Show, there's a possibility we could watch this match again, maybe at some point as a bonus. If you enjoy watching wrestling, though, with the Enforcer, this is another reason to join Ad Free Show's only nine bucks a month. Uh, but for those of you on the main feed, it's time to watch Sting win the big gold belt. This is our third clip of the week. Here we go. Great American Bash. Let's check it out. Oh, my God. They're standing now in anticipation. Will we see the Scorpion Deathlock? Yeah. No. What's he going to do? El Gigante. Ole Anderson wanted to come down. He's got him in the Scorpion. He's got him in the Scorpion. How much longer can Claire Here come the horseman.
have a look at it, ladies and gentlemen. Sting went for the big knee. But Flair moved out of the way. Very indefinite. And then it was Flair who was going to go for his coup de grace, the figure four. But here is the move that brought Sting the world's heavyweight championship. Jim, when he was going for the figure four, Sting was managed to get him into the small package and roll him up and pin him quickly for the count of three. And there Many said it couldn't be done. Flair, without a doubt, is the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. But the Stinger using an inside cradle as a reversal for the figure four leg lock with his chest battered, with his leg, I'm sure, hurting, countered the champion for the one, two, three. The crowd here standing. They have seen history made here at the Great American Bash. A tremendous bout and a bout of courage for the young man who went in with a knee not sure what it would do whether it would hold up or not how he would be able to stand up against the champion Jim all the many thousands of questions that we asked for all these many months they all were answered there and look at that the new heavyweight champion of the world his friends are with him Gordon Soley I think is standing by back there Junkyard dog there. We're going to try to get Sting over. Hopefully, Gordon's going to be able to talk to him, Jim, to get some of his tremendous feelings and emotion he must have. Let's go to Gordon now. Gordon, take it away. Congratulations, Sting. My mouth is really dry, so try and understand what I'm going to say. Ric Flair is the greatest world champion of all time. Me, on the other hand, I'm a champion tonight and tonight only. I've got some big shoes to fill in Ric Flair's shoes. Although we may have our differences, all I have to say is I'm gonna do the best that I can do. And that's it. This has, oh. this has to be the happiest moment of your life, though, wasn't it? <laughs> Ric Flair wasn't champion. Six times with the help of the horseman every time. He's truly a great champion. I know you don't want to hear it, maybe some of you, but it's true. It's a big accomplishment for the Stinger in his short career. Thank you very, very much, everybody. Okay, thank you, Stinger, the new NWA heavyweight champion. Now back to Jim Rock. So, Arn, what did you think there? I mean, that's probably what is that the first time you've seen that in its entirety of that clip, uh, and since then? Yeah, it is because we were got ran to the back. And obviously. and and how was it to watch it too with the full commentary of Ross and the experience? Like to me, I love watching this with you because you get like to watch it as a fan for the first time. I feel like the business took a step forward. Uh, the company certainly took a step forward. I love the fact that, you know, although it wasn't a big polished interview, Sting was humble. He put the, the champion over, which you should always do. Otherwise, you know, if you demean your opponent, then when your opponent beats you, you got beat by somebody that's less than. I think he did a very humble job, was very credible. Sting became a megastar that day. Mm. And it was. It was almost like getting uh, the feels all over again, watching that simple 
a small package, the the roll up there out of the out of the figure four, and the crowd, the energy from Jim and uh, Bob Cottle, and the the fireworks, and Gary Michael Capetta over the th- as a fan watching on pay per view. It was it was a go- uh, goosebump moment. And uh, did you like that they ended it with him doing the uh, the promo, the interview on stage? Sure did, because it failed impromptu. It was impromptu. I bet you. Yeah. I bet it was. I'm not sure that was planned. Arn Sting looked like a million bucks, and after finally toppling the longtime world champion, probably felt like a million bucks. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And friends, if you want to look and feel like Surfer Sting did in July of 1990, you may need some help, and that's okay. And we're here to help you with that. And thanks to our partner, Athletic Greens, you can find the extra energy and feed your body vitamins and nutrients it needs to function at the Surfer Sting level, baby. Orange, just one scoop of it gives you 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals. I'm talking improving your gut health, sleeping better, improve focus. What's not to like? This is a slam dunk. And you get better sleep quality and recovery, and it costs less than $3 a day. It's completely worth the investment. And it's received 7,000-plus five-star reviews. Right now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition just one scoop and a cup of water every day, Arn. That's it. I tell you what, Brock and I take it every day, and it's one of those things. That, you know, I don't know how many months it's been now, but we're feeling it. You know, it's it's a lot more energy at the gym. You just kind of feel better, and it just it's good stuff. Absolutely good stuff. Yeah, and there's no need for a million different pills anymore, guys. Yeah. Supple- I mean, that's the that's the beautiful part about this. And to make it easy, they're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. This is what you do. You go to athleticgreens.com forward slash ARN, A-R-N. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash ARN to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Well, Arn Flair really made Sting at the very first Clash of Champions in March of 88, a show we covered in detail earlier this year. But, man, what a night it is here. Nature Boy to be the man who did the honors for Sting in his first world title victory. But it just wasn't the Nature Boy that helped make this moment so special. You and the rest of the horsemen were instrumental in this whole build, especially if you think about it, after the injury. For you, as a man who knows Steve Borden personally for over three decades and still works with him from time to time to this day, what were your thoughts, reaction, and opinion of the match, the moment, and the man? Well, I've always said Sting's is a really he's a good dude. He's an he's one of the honest guys in the business, you know. And uh, he's just a good human being. He, he, I got that feeling from him when I very first met him, and I've maintained it all this time. I mean, I worked for WCW for twelve years. A lot of people don't realize that. That's a long time. So I saw every incarnation of Sting and every opponent and challenge that he had, every injury he had, I was there for it, Uh, every lunge forward, and he became the face of that company. And uh, for a long, long time, you know, when you said WCW, oh, that's Sting and Luger and the Steiners and and all these other guys, but it was Sting was the very first thing out of your mouth. And... uh, we were all happy for him. Uh, we knew he was going to lead the company in the right direction. He looked great going to, like, the Hollywood stuff that he would do and appearances and the different talk shows and all that. I mean, he, 
He's what you you want to put forward. He's your best foot forward. He's a, he looks like a star. He is a star. It's it's uh, interesting. I talked to Kurt Angle about Sting because they spent a lot of time together in TNA uh, in the TNA mm-hmm. days. He put Sting on such a pedestal as one of the genuinely nicest guys that he's ever worked with. I mean, up there in the t- one of the top people that you can you can work with in the wrestling business thinks very highly of Sting, and you say the exact same thing. So uh, I always love hearing uh, about just people talk about him and the kind of kind of man that he is, which is great to hear. Uh, following Sting's victory in Baltimore, the champion and Lex Luger teamed together to take on Flair and Wyndham on the house shows. So just six days after this event, the Nature Boys suffered a dislocated knee in the main event of the house show at the Reunion Arena in Dallas. And then for the next 10 days or so, Harley Race would substitute for Flair at all the live events. Arn, this is a couple of years removed from when Harley was injured during a table spot on Saturday night's main event against Hulk Hogan. Do you remember this injury that sidelined Rick here? And what do you make of Harley as a wrestler in this era? I, I, I remember Harley's injury, wasn't it? Didn't he bust his gut or something? It was a hernia uh, coming a hernia. onto a table. Yeah. Yeah, off the top through yeah. a table and. Yep, with yeah, with Hogan, the match with Hogan. If you can hurt Harley Race, anybody can get hurt, that's for sure. I don't remember Rick's particular injury, though. Was it his knee, you said? It was. It was his patella um, that just kept him out a little bit. And again, this is not a long period of time, and this is a long time ago. So didn't know if you uh, had recalled any of that. But I do remember that we were on a limited schedule, so... He would have missed some TVs, but we weren't running a full schedule of house shows that he would have missed anyway. Well, listen, the same day, July 13th, Jim Cornette hosted an interview with you and Sid that aired on the NWA Power Hour. And you take the lead on this interview, Arn, and we have the interview in its entirety. This episode was recorded on July 2nd before the title change, but did not air until 11 days later. So let's take a listen to what you had to say here. This is NWA Power Hour from July 13th, 1990. Well, we're back on TBS, the Louisville Slugger with Jim Cornette, and I've asked the four horsemen to be out here. Unfortunately, Ric Flair and Ole Anderson both in a meeting as we speak with the World Championship Wrestling Board of Directors over that fiasco, that freak ripoff that happened at the Great American Bash. But I do have Arn Anderson and Big Sid Vicious here. And Arn, you know, these super dudes with attitudes, public opinion, as you say, has been formulated in one way. But I think that everybody will agree in their own hearts if they want to be honest with themselves. There's no way that you can take a couple of freak incidents that have happened lately and count the horsemen out. Jim, you're as articulate as any man alive, and I'm going to point this out to the less fortunate that can't understand it. I'm going to simplify it. When you have a problem, the only way to correct that problem is identify and locate each and every source that is causing that problem. What we deal with being the horseman is not the ailment, but the solution that's causing it. My friend, each and every one of you, by your own admission, contributed to the most horrifying day that I can remember the horseman ever spending. After each and every bash, bar none, we have had the greatest party that the city of Baltimore has ever experienced. But on this given night, no such luck. We're up all night, granted. But it was plotting, carefully construing the destruction of each and every individual by your own admission who contributed to this given day. 
Think about that for just one second. Well, I want to make a comment because I hear Sid Vicious growling right now, and it, it disturbs me to be around this guy when he's should. upset. Now, a lot of people have given him a lot of guff from a distance about what happened at the last Clash of Champions. I think everybody will agree once again, if you dig down deep within yourself and be honest, Alibaba and all 40 thieves could have equaled that ripoff. There's no way that a human being of any stature, of any standing, can beat this guy as quick as Lex Luger supposedly did. Luger, I want you to take a look at this. You're not looking at a blonde-haired prima donna cutie. You're looking at the biggest and the meanest and the nastiest man in this business today. And that you're going to find out and you look in these eyes and you'll know that I'm telling you nothing but the truth. Well, I tell you something, Martin, there's no way that I'm going to stand across the ring from this guy. And I know nobody else in professional wrestling is going to want to, is going to enjoy the task either of standing across the ring from the horseman because you guys are focused and you're set. And like we said before, you're not going to let a few little freak accidents form public opinion. You're going to do the foreman just like you've always done. Tunnel vision, Jim. Let's put it in a capsule. This is one day out of our life that has redirected our whole life. The horsemen of the 90s are not the horsemen of the 80s. This team was handpicked, not through blood, not through sweat, but by necessity. The bigger they come, the better we like it. We specialize in big men. You know who you are. And we'll be back mind. with the horsemen and tag team wrestling right after this. All right, there it is, Arn. And uh, my goodness, I, I always found it interesting, and you've talked about this before, how that you had to kind of had bullet points, but you had to tread lightly and kind of talk about things in broad strokes because you, again, recorded this prior to what happened, but you were instructed as to what was going to happen with the title change. Uh, so you had already known that in your mind. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, this just happened quite often back in those days where maybe you didn't know every detail, but they'd give you an idea of what was going to happen, and then you'd have to go out and cut promos. Yeah, it's tough to talk about something that hadn't happened yet. You just had to keep it broad strokes and yeah. uh, just, you know, make sure that you didn't talk about too exact things. And uh, and you had to keep up with, okay, when does this air? You know, we would always ask before we would do a promo, when does this air? When does this air? You all had to be on the same, you know, the announcers would help us and the guys in the studio would help us and we would make sure we had the right dates and the right conversation. A lot of, uh, lot of organization there. Well, listen, while uh, Harley substituted for the Nature Bowl, you found yourself working the next week and a half against JYD in some capacity, be that either one-on-ones or six-man tag matches. The six-mans were you, Harley, and Barry taking on Sting, Luger, and JYD. Uh, we've heard this before that uh, Rick wasn't a, in huge favor of working with Junkyard Dog at this time. I mean, and it's based on his age, his health, and uh, you know, Rick had a set of standards for his in-ring work. But for you, AA, this is the man who helped make you an Anderson. But in 1990, you're not only a heel that leads most matches, but also a veteran and part of the top heel group in the company. How was it for you working uh, with JYD in the twilight of his career? I think it's important for our audience who might not have heard the earlier episodes in the archive, if you can kind of just talk about how big of a star JYD was in Louisiana when you arrived in Mid-South and began working for, for Watts. Yeah, well, I, you know, I had been in the business about uh, about a month. I'd been working for Pensacola, and Bob Armstrong got me booked in an underneath position for Bill Watts to do, to go over and do TV. And Bill Watts hired me, and 
JYD at that time in Louisiana and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma and Oklahoma City and Little Rock, Arkansas and Mississippi. That, you know, the Mid-South area basically was, he was like Hulk Hogan. You know, he was, he was like Ric Flair. He was, he, with his music hit, Another One Bites the Dust, my God. I mean, I, I had never seen anything like that being in the business because, you know, I mean, we did we did some good business down in Pensacola, but we're talking, you know, five six thousand people maybe. But I had never seen like in New Orleans where you got ten, twelve, thirteen thousand people. When that music hits, buddy, every one of them stood up, and they stayed standing up the entire time. I mean, the guy was was over incredibly. And he, he helped get me my first break, and um, which, you know, I never forgot that. You know, when when guys do you a solid in this business, you should remember it. And if you're somewhere down the road, you're going to have an opportunity to pay them back. And that's what I looked at. You know, every night I go out work with JYD, I kept him on his feet, and I kept him bouncing me around. And if we had to go shorter, we went shorter, and I was honored to put him over. Well, uh, speaking of uh, Junkyard Dog, uh, Tariq Scott asked the following. He said, did you think JYD was past his prime in WCW? And did you ever hear or see any of JYD's alleged substance issues spring up in WCW? How was he to work with? No, I didn't because his, his private life was none of my business. Uh, you know, if that had anything, any bearing on his career, that was his choice. Uh but it's nothing that I was around in those days. You traveled, baby faces traveled with the baby faces, heels traveled with the heels. You stayed separate. You had separate lives. You came together for a few hours at TV tapings, and and that was it. You know, you went went your own way. Um, but I just, you know, he was a nice guy. He was a, he was a good man. He was, you know, and the fact is. Every one of us come into this business, and if you stay for a period of time, you have your learning process, then you have your peak, and then you go down the other side of the mountain, and it happens to every one of us. And when you're past your career, you know, your prime, that doesn't mean you've got to step aside and get out of the business. you just got to be careful that when you are past your prime, let the world know it. Hey, I'm not who I was. But nobody else is either. And then the expectations are not as high, and they don't look at you what you are then. They look at what you were, and the fact is, hey, I still get to enjoy this guy. And that's the way the business is. And be nice if you could come in and be a top-flight level day one to your last day on the job, and you walk away or on top, and as good as you ever was, who gets to do that? Nobody. Right. Nobody. Yeah, Keith Morrison, he uh, was curious about your relationship at this time with JYD, being that he thought of your ring name. So you were just saying you didn't necessarily travel with him, but do you remember any kind of relationship back then around this oh, time? Oh, well, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, thanked him a thousand times over. And uh, probably he got, you know, sick of hearing about it. But, you know, he said, I, he said, uh, I can see you had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had something, <laughs> and I wanted to try to help you if I could. And Bill, Bill listened to me back then, so I was glad to help you. 
There you go. Well, listen, after uh, working with the dog for about 10 days, the creative team moved Orndorff into that spot, and you would wrestle Paul and uh, a friend of the show. Jeff, there's a reason I'm, I'm not a real Coach Fisher as a question about Mr. Wonderful. And he asked, was Paul Orndorff under, underutilized by WCW? He also added that he continues to enjoy the show and, of course, meeting you aren't at StarCast. So your thoughts on Paul Orndorff being in, in the way he was utilized by WCW? Well, he was an asset to the business. He was an asset to the company. Paul looked like a million bucks. But he had already suffered. Very, We have very, very similar neck injuries. And he had already suffered, you know, one of his arms was much, much smaller than the other from the nerve damage, but he was still able to go out there and have a four-star match. But it, we had very, very similar injuries, neck injuries, and uh, he was on the downside of his career. But even with that one arm, you would look at it and go, wow, it's not as big as the other one, but his body still looked like a million dollars. He was a huge star and a tough son of a bitch. Well, listen, during uh, Flair's absence, you would conduct a stand-up interview with our AFS colleague and the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. And uh, this promo is recorded on July 10th in front of 1,000 fans in Gainesville, Georgia. It airs on the July 28th episode of World Championship Wrestling. Let's take a look. This is our last clip of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Ross here with Arn Anderson. I got this letter before we went on the air today. It says, to Ric Flair or the Horseman, because Ric Flair isn't here. Uh, Arn Anderson, obviously a very illustrious member of the Horseman. I've got a picture from somebody, and I want you to take a look at it. Does the word Dustin mean anything to you? Nothing. I don't know who that is. Well, I know you know who the world's heavyweight champion is, do you not? Yeah. Real, real vividly I know who it is. And let me tell you something, Sting. If it's not the 10-year reign of Ric Flair returning, coming back to light to haunt you, if Flair doesn't get it back, we've got one guy in mind, and you know who he is. He's our killer. His name is Sid Vicious. We're going to sick Sid Vicious on you. See if that coup that you pulled off with all the help from the dudes with attitudes, let's just see if it was worth the anguish that's going to be put on you, my friend. Your life will never be the same after Sid Vicious gets on you. And I'm going to tell you something else, JR. One thing I've always respected out of you, whether it was your opinion may be varied from mine, you always call a spade a spade. And when I look in that crystal ball, you've always known when I tell you something, it's going to happen, right or wrong. Absolutely correct. No matter who it is, little guys, big guys, important guys, champions, contenders, maybe guys that don't deserve it. Anybody makes a trip to the hospital from now on, Sting, they're not going to blame us. They're going to blame you. It's on your head for what you've done to the horseman. Very interesting comments from Arn Anderson, and we'll be back with more on World Championship Wrestling. So a few things I want to point out from this. One thing that uh, about that promo is the attention that you gave to Sid. You mentioned during our April-May episode, you felt like some of the promo time could be in making Vicious credible with endorsements, just like the one here. In addition, you acknowledge Flair's absence and let Sting know you have the heavy to take the world title. We're going to get into Halloween Havoc 1990 before the year is over, but was that the creative direction immediately after the bash? That is pairing Sting and Sid then? I guess so, yeah. I mean, he was untested. You know, we hadn't really done anything properly with him. The very first time he walked on screen, he shouldn't have had a shirt on. He should have been oiled up. And somebody, one of us, should have did what I just did for, you know, putting him over. 
make him a monster, make him the focal point. And yeah, it was we, another fumble. Yeah, and, and, and that's why we have questions like the one we have right now. Thomas Danucci says, during the 1990 era of the Horsemen, did you feel, Arn, there was any type of chemistry with Sid as the heater of the group, or was Sid just a Horseman in name only? Well, I mean, we could have used him better. We could have focused on him better. But again, you know, we're all trying to, to establish ourselves as well. And, uh, you know, Sid was just getting started in the business. You know, he hadn't been in very long, but he just, we should have done a better job of making what we were looking at a reality. And, uh, you know, he was, he was certainly one of us. We wanted to make sure we took care of him in every single match. We didn't have him in there getting bounced around. He would, he would come in and shut everything down. You know, that, that theory of the horseman, you know, never left us. Our job was to go out and make baby faces. And in this case, just like when we brought Luger aboard years before and Jim Crockett, we, our job was to make him Superman. Same thing with Sid, and we didn't do a great job of it, to be honest with you. Well, uh, Arn, during the final week of the month, Flair did return to action. He would still wrestle in those six-man tag matches, taking the place of Harley, uh, and it would, of course, be the horsemen falling short to... Uh, uh, Sting, Luger, and JYD. And that's really going to wrap up this month. But as we discussed at the end of last week's episode, you wanted some more interaction with the fans. We want some more interaction with the fans. So our research guy, man, what a, what a gem he is, has collected some questions and will continue to do so moving forward. So guys, listen, if you have questions about August and September of 1990, be on the lookout for the posts on social or on Patreon. And make sure you throw your questions out there uh, as we want to get to them. Arn, we have a few. We're going to go rapid fire. Are you ready to go through some questions? Do my best. All right. Drew Landry wants to know, if you, the founder of the Four Horsemen, thinks Sting was actually a horseman, and you answered that in today's show earlier on, you do. For a little while, he was, right? Yeah. And if he would have stepped aside and gave up that, uh, that shot at the title, he might still be a horseman, and we still might be running that company. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> See what see Sting, you had to be money hungry and go for that title. It's all um, about you. See, there you go, uh, Brad Stanton. Uh, this is what we were talking about with uh, Mean Mark too. Looking back, it's easy to say WCW blew it with Mark Callis, and you're absolutely right. It is Brad. Is there anyone that WWE missed that could be close to that? So, is there another person similar to Mark Callis' situation that hmm. they missed out on? What do you think? Uh, I don't know, man. That looms pretty large. Yeah. I would think. Um, a talented guy that you rubbed elbows with in WCW, and you always thought, man, if if, if he would have gotten an opportunity on a bigger platform, he could have been. Well, he actually did enjoy uh, a lot of uh, success, but uh, one guy would have been Brian Pillman if that would have been able to run its course. Yep. And Brad Armstrong, or excuse me, Brad Armstrong, who you know I almost bring up any time we talk wrestling. He was so talented. If he could have just mastered being Brad instead of Bob's boy when they got in front of a mic, yeah, I think that was the only thing that he missed. He he was Bob Armstrong's son. He sounded like Bob. His cadence was like Bob, who was a great promo guy. Bob Armstrong, and and he was over in the business. Brad was as talented as on the wrestling end of it and looked like a million dollars. He just, 
Nothing separated him as being Brad when he would get in front of a mic. And I think it, over time, that might have held him back. Boy, was he talented. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, our resident investment man, Lenny Bakken, he wants to know, how would Arn compare the road schedule of WCW in 1990 to what he experienced just month, months prior at the WWF? The entire other end of the spectrum. I want to say we were running that first year maybe eight, eight, eight to nine days a month. Uh, that's including all the TVs and everything else. Uh, when the company I left, we were on the road 24 days a month, every month. Wow. Six days at home. Two of those days were a travel day. Uh, you know, you would go home for three days. Your first day is you would travel home, so you lost a half a day. You would have one free day in the middle, and then the third day you were repacking to go back on the road. It's a nightmare. Yeah, no thanks. Give me that home cooking, Arn Anderson. Uh, Money Michael McClanahan wants to know, since you were heavily involved in both, how does the Sting-Flair feud of this era compare to the Flair-Hogan feud that began four years later when Hogan arrived in WCW? Oh, I think the Sting was more intense. It was new. It was fresh. You weren't getting uh, Hulk Hogan... 2.0, you know, yeah, Hulk, Hulk, right. wasn't, Hulk wasn't 300 pounds when he walked on the WCW stage, you know. He, uh, I mean, granted, he was Hulk Hogan, but he was not the monster that you had seen before. And um, I think the Sting angle was had much more interest. Yeah, Sting was just a rising star. Hogan was had become a star, and... You know, for us that were ch children of the 80s, he was maybe a little bit lesser than what he was. Yeah, I mean, part of his allure and part of the fact was the man, he was tanned, he was 300 pounds, he was a beast. You know, he was the biggest guy walking the hall. And when he was at WCW, that was just not the case. Yeah, and that's what I mean as far as he was so huge in the 80s. Not that he still wasn't a star here in the 90s. It was just a little bit different. Yeah, it was. It wasn't, wasn't the same guy. It was a different version of Hulk Hogan. And I think he knew that is what, why he went along with the NWO thing. He knew that was a chance to get as hot as he was as the babyface, red and yellow Hulk Hogan. Here was his opportunity. That's why he jumped on it. Well, Arn, listen, that's going to conclude our coverage of July 1990. The win for Sting marks the beginning of a new era in WCW, and he became the franchise, and as we discussed, a well-deserved achievement for the Stinger. Next week, I can't wait. It's the return of Ask Arn Anything, where you fans are in charge of the show. Double A, it's been several months since we've done one of these, and I think uh, this is going to be fun, and I'm personally looking forward to it. I know you are, too. The whole purpose of this podcast is not me stroking my ego. It's all about the fans because I think they enjoy taking a peek behind the curtain. And that's what the Q&As do. Ask what you want. I'll do my very best to remember it. If, if, and if I can't remember it, I'll tell you that too. Listen, uh, before we get out of here, make sure you check us out, boxagimmicks.com. Uh, you're going to see not only uh, 
You're going to see T-shirts for the Orange Show, but also for Four Horsemen. And uh, just keep an eye out. The brand's continuing to grow over there. The graphics. Uh, we have guys that are uh, now have a jacket in hand and are taking it to the designer to get that logo embroidered on. And we're really excited about what that means uh, for all of you. So more to come there. But on behalf of the enforcer, Arn Anderson, this is Paul Bromwell. And you have been listening to Arn. We'll see you right back here next week. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.